Well, hello, folks. Welcome to He Said, She Said with your hosts, David and Natalie Domina. Where faith intersects with culture. Our quote of the day is Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. All right, that's such a good Bible verse. Today, our topic is going to be abortion. Um, Very prevalent topic in the news today. And uh, we're really excited to touch on it. We have a special guest speaker, Dean Condon. His wife, Janet, and his youngest three of their eight children live in Parrington, New York. Dean came to know the Lord at age 16 and was called to ministry at that time. He's been in full-time ministry since 1988 and has been a senior pastor for 23 of those years, as well as the director of a charismatic parachurch ministry and church leadership consultant. Over the past three years, he's worked with Compass Care Pregnancy Services. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about what Compass Care is, if you don't already know. Um, The first two years as the regional executive of their Compass Care expansion into Buffalo, and he's now their New York State ambassador working on stateside expansion, which is super exciting. Uh, Dean holds a multitude of degrees. He went to Gordon-Conlon Theological Seminary, uh, Harvard University, and also got a BA in theology and philosophy from Boston College. So that is quite the resume you have, Dean. Um, If you just want to talk about kind of to begin, like what spurred your interest or your passion um, for advocating for women who wanted to get an abortion, but you you wanted to tell them that there was another way. Yeah, so my passion with working with Compass Care actually has its roots early in my Christian life and in my formation in going to school and really understanding, okay, well, what does it mean to be human under God? And Mm. that every person is created in the image of God from the moment of conception and is worthy of protection because they're of immeasurable and equal value without qualification. And so that's always been a part of my Christian conviction. And so the opportunity to work with Compass Care arose when I had stepped back from pastoring and was doing leadership consulting, and uh, Jim Harden invited me to come on board to help with the launch of the Buffalo operation. So my role is really connecting with churches and and, and people uh, to, to come alongside the operation. I don't work directly with women, but the nurses do. And so women uh, find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy, and the irony is that these women don't feel like they have a choice. They feel Mm -hmm. unsupported, without a choice, and they feel that they need to have an abortion. And so the mission of Compass Care is to erase the need by -hmm. transforming a a woman's fear into confidence. If she can have confidence that she envisions the future of carrying this pregnancy to term, she's more likely to do so. Yeah. So it's kind of ironic because in the face of a culture that says we need to protect choice, these women feel like they don't have one. Mm, that's a good point. Um, so you kind of have firsthand experience working th- with these women and them expressing what they're going through. Compass Care does. I don't personally directly work with these women. Mm-hmm. We have a team of well-trained nurses who do that because it's a medical office. Yeah. And all the services that these women receive are provided by trained medical personnel. Mm, That's awesome. Uh, So I have a ton of questions that we're kind of just going to go through today. They're kind of the hot topic questions. Um, People who don't know 
what an abortion is, um, what options are for women who choose not to get an abortion. Um, but very basic, and I'm going to be asking my father these also. He's a spiritual leader within the community. Um, he also has some very strong opinions on these questions. But the first one is, you kind of touched on it. Uh, when do you think life begins? Does it begin at conception? Um, and is any stage of development acceptable for performing an abortion? So you look at when does life begin from both a scientific and a biblical point of view. Mm -hmm. So clearly from a scientific point of view, life is beginning at the moment of conception. What kind of life is that? Well, it's human life. Is it a person? That is sort of the secondary question. Yeah. And so what you have here is an entity with a unique DNA. So we know that it's not part of the mother's body because every part of her body has its own separate, different DNA structure. This has its own unique structure. And the only thing that's added to what exists at the moment of conception is food, water, and the provision of shelter. And, and that needs to go on for a long time. I often get asked the question, when does a human being become viable, the ability to survive on its own? And my answer is usually around age 22, because mm. right, until they're true. about 22, they still need well, someone else to provide food, water, and shelter. Well, nowadays, it seems to be even more delayed than that. Can be, yes. <laughs> Maybe not, into not the 30s. Not for me. Not, but not. Except for Natalie. <laughs> not, not for Natalie. Actually, all my kids. I, I think my, my youngest son moved out of the house before he graduated high school. Uh -huh. So I, I don't know if we did something right or did something wrong. It's no, like, you did great. We love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we created independent children. So. so with the question of is there any point in the stage of development, well, yeah. human beings are developing usually all the way, males in particular, into their late teens. Mm. Women perhaps a little early. Our reproductive systems mature late and develop late, but the brains finish their development last. And so everything from the moment of conception into the late teens is a degree of development, mm. but not a change of nature. And so it's a human mm. being at the beginning of conception all the way through to to natural death. It seems like the points of the argument are always changing. First, first the debate is when does life begin? Well, I mean, there's, there's life begins at, at conception because it's a living, it's a living cell. So then, then the debate comes to, you know, well, when does personhood begin? Um, right. Some have said personhood doesn't begin until the baby takes its first, first breath. Uh, I've seen all sorts of memes with re re regards to that. There are actually Christians who, who are not, who are not, they don't take a pro-life stance. Who say, well, the baby doesn't become a person until the baby actually breathes its first breath, and they point to Genesis, Genesis two seven, because God breathed into to Adam, and that's when Adam became became a life. Mm. And and babies can't breathe until they're out of the womb. Of course, they can't live without without oxygen. <laughs> right, know? so we know that Adam and Eve didn't have belly buttons, right? That, that's right. Because they didn't have umbilical cords. So right. oxygen simply is being delivered a different way. That's right. Babies need oxygen in the womb just as much as outside of the womb. Absolutely. Just to get it in a different way. Absolutely, yeah. It just it seems like a poor argument, but it seems like the criteria is always changing. So what, is, what does the Bible say about uh, about abortion? Because we take we take... A, a, a biblical stance as, as Christians, we think it's it's clear in, in in Scripture that the Bible that the Bible 
sees life beginning in, in the womb, the womb of the woman. What are some of the passages of Scripture that, that speak? Well, the one that was quoted, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, yeah. there's uh, Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 and 14. Thou dost form my inward parts, thou dost knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise thee, for thou art fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm -hmm. Wonderful are thy works. And so... Uh, Clearly from Scripture, life is beginning certainly in the womb. The yes. question is, is well, well, when does that begin? Uh, well, certainly at conception, life, when does personhood begin? We have no reason to designate any particular point during pregnancy that, that all of a sudden becomes a person. There's, sure. there's, no, sure. there's no distinction. There's a fundamental principle, though, that being made in the image of God makes human beings sacred in a way that no other living being is. Right. Mm. And so we get that from the Old Testament. But then there's even taking that to another level, that Jesus became a human being, right? Yeah, God yeah. became a human being, thus changing actually what it means to be human altogether. Right. That, that God dignified humans by becoming one of them. He didn't become an angel. He became a human being. Yeah, mm. A, a so, baby in a mother's womb. Exactly. Yeah. And so... Uh, that happened at the moment of conception because that was the the, the fiat that Mary needed to say to sure. Gabriel. You know, do you say yes? At, at that moment, the, the, Gabriel's like, my job's done. I'm out of here. He goes. He doesn't even say much. He just leaves. And at that moment, the, the, the fiat Mary gives to say, let it be done to me as you will. Jesus is now incarnate. Well, I mean, it, it even speaks to the spirit of God being in that baby in the mother's womb. Because remember, with, with, with Elizabeth, and she's carrying John probably in the, I don't know, maybe the third trimester, and Jesus is the first trimester, and the, the spirit in, in, in these babies in the womb leap, leap you know. Yes. So it's like mm. even the spirit of God is in, the, in these babies in, in their mother's womb. So that would clearly undermine the first breath argument. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, and so what what happens too is that you know being made in the image of God is like being a a, a photograph or a, a painting of somebody, and so we honor that. So you wouldn't throw darts at the picture of your mother, right? Right. You know, it, because that would, some people might. They might. But I, I would not do. That. <laughs> I love my mother. <laughs> we would understand that as sort of this is a defiling thing. This is a terrible thing to do because this this photograph is in the yes, image of someone. Yes, absolutely. But then in Romans we read that it takes it to another level where we we become adopted children of yeah, God. Yeah. yeah. So Jesus is the only begotten Son, but we get allowed to be in a sense like Jesus because He became one of us and adopted as children of God, not just made in the image of God. And so mm -hmm. it's the difference between a statue and your child, uh, a photograph of your child and the actual flesh and blood of your child. We now, because of what Jesus did, have entered into a whole nother accessible reality I love that. in our relationship mm. with God. Completely different picture. Mm. That's awesome. I love that. I, I love when uh, you brought up how their spirits leaped. Yeah. I think that's really important that the, the spirit of God is, is in these babies and they're made in his image. Um, this is kind of a question for both of you because I, I know my father, um, we talk about theocracy a lot. Uh, so this is an interesting question. Um, and I kind of know both of your answers, but for the viewers, um, do you believe that abortion um, should be illegal? And um, we can dive into cases of rape, incest, um, the possibility of a woman passing away while giving birth. Uh, and a bifold to that question is, do you think that illegalizing abortion is an issue of theocracy, uh, Christians imposing their moral and religious views on mankind? Like trying to legislate morality. Legislate morality, basically. Yeah. Uh, Dean, I'll let you go first. 
So you could certainly argue that every legislative law is a legislation of morality. Sure. Mm-hmm. There, there's no exceptions. We have rules against stealing. Do not murder. Well, well, in this particular case, <laughs> yeah. There are, so without God, actually, without something bigger than and our and outside of ourselves to determine what's right and wrong, then it's left to society. And we know that that goes off the rails all the time. We yeah. see it in legalized slavery in most cultures and most times in history. We recognize that now because it was the Christian Western civilization that was the first civilization to to eradicate slavery, mm. yeah. right? So it came late. Even in our own country, we didn't recognize the full humanity of certain groups of people and allow them to be enslaved. In the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, the, the presiding uh, jurist, the presiding Supreme Court justice, wrote these words, Harry Blackman wrote these words, mm-hmm. that the word person cannot be applied to the unborn child. Mm-hmm. And with the stroke of a pen, classified mm-hmm. a whole group of human beings as less than human and not worthy of the rights of what it means to be human. And we see that the greatest atrocities in history happen precisely when there is this collusion between culture and government where government legalizes this, this cultural bias so, for example, slavery, mm-hmm. but we also see it in the genocides of Rwanda, we see it in Cambodia, we see yeah. it in the genocides of, of Germany, where the greatest atrocities of, in human history have occurred when a group of people has been designated as less than human. And so, in the case of abortion, it is arguably the greatest systemic injustice, systemic being defined as an injustice that is built legally into the system. Mm. You can have pervasive injustice that isn't systemic, in other words, it's not legalized. So racism, for example, is not legalized in, the, in this country, but, but abortion is. And so it becomes systemic and endemic into the culture and society. So we understand as Christians that the law is a teacher. Mm. And so for half a century, the law has taught our people that abortion is somehow okay, because if it's legal, it's got to be okay, right? Mm. And so as a result, it's duped countless women, somewhere in the neighborhood of 63 million in the United States alone to make a regrettable decision mm. to, to choose abortion because somehow it's got to be okay. And in the moment, in the pressure cooker of an unplanned pregnancy of a woman who feels unsupported and feels like she needs to have an abortion, well, there clearly is a, a, a moral, an ideological, a, a somehow justification because, well, if it was that bad, it wouldn't be illegal. Sure. And so... Law is a teacher, and right now mm-hmm. our laws are not teaching the right thing. Right, mm-hmm. right. Dean, you and I were talking a little bit about the statistics and how abortion seems to very adversely affect a certain demographic of, of the, the population. I mean, it's, it's another form of racism. We were talking earlier about how it seems like a lot of these Planned Parenthood offices are actually right, right in the heart of you know the, the the cities of uh, America where where it affects much of the black and Latino culture. Let share some of those statistics. Yeah, so understand New York was the first state to legalize abortion in 1970, right. so women from all over the country would come here before 73 to get their abortion. I did not know well, that really. Yeah, first the wow. very first self standing abortion clinic is in Syracuse. Mm. It's still there uh, on on Genesee Street, and so it's a Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger, mm. the founder of Planned Parenthood, who grew up in Corning. And actually, in the church I pastored down there. Wow. Uh, and she, she's in the baptismal logs. No and so, way. Uh, she started her first abortion 
no, no, I'm sorry, first Planned Parenthood, because it wasn't legalized abortion. It was more of a contraceptive yeah. mm. uh, institution in Brooklyn. It failed, and then the next one was in Harlem. But clearly, she was also part of the International Eugenics Eugenics, Society. yeah. So only until recently has Planned Parenthood finally decided not to try to defend Margaret Sanger, but embrace the fact that, okay, yeah, she was a racist. We admit it. We For need sure. to move on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's rather recent. But, but when we look at the statistics in New York State... Uh, a, a black baby is five times more likely to be aborted. So for every 100 white babies born, there are 14 white babies aborted. For every 100 black babies born, there are 76 babies aborted in, the, in New York State. And in Monroe County, uh, it's around 60 for every 100 born, 60 abortions. In the capital region of Albany, it's about 90 abortions for every 100 live births. In places like Manhattan, uh, the the uh, it's 123 abortions for every 100 live ba black baby births, and so it greatly and disproportionately affects affects the African American community. Where right now, from a statistical numbers point of view, the black population is not replacing itself in the United States. It's a diminishing. Well, population. I read a statistic. Um, there were 19 million black Americans in what 19. 60. I think it was 1960, right? 1960 to 30 million. 30, yeah, 30, 30 million. million uh, population of the black population in the United States was 30 million, right? Yeah. Since Roe v. Wade, there have been over 30 million black babies aborted. So Higher than what the black American population was. Yeah, just wow. imagine if there was an edict sent out, okay, every black person in the United States is to be terminated. Uh, mm. How outrageous that is. Just... A travesty. It's just incredible. Uh, it's so sad. Um, wow. That, those are some heavy statistics. Um, all right, so going back to kind of uh, the making abortion illegal, um, what about cases of rape, incest, uh, women could possibly pass away while giving birth? Um, what are your, your views on that? And or more so, how would we support women that have experienced those tragedies? So that is clearly a, a challenging, difficult, and painful question. So Very. the first thing I would say, and, and certainly in a disadvantaged place as a man, many would think, okay, you, know, you can't even speak into this. But I would certainly first acknowledge the intensity of the pain and trauma, mm. tragedy mm -hmm. that either rape or incest uh, in, intrinsically involves, mm. and then the the expounding of the expansion of that pain and suffering that such an assault and, and a travesty and, and crime would then have the burden of a produced human being, a child. Sure. sure. Uh, and so... The question is, is, okay, well, what do you do? And so certainly out of sympathy uh, for the woman in that traumatic and horrible place, there's an understandable sensibility. I could see, well, yeah, I could understand why she would want an abortion to, to yeah. move on and to, and to no longer continue that, that painful experience and to separate herself as much as possible. So that's certainly understandable. Mm -hmm. But then there's a question is whether, whether it's right, whether it should be legal. So imagine for a moment this scenario that she chooses to carry to term. Mm. And 
two or three years later, uh, this child is now, he's a boy, he's starting to resemble the person mm-hmm. who assaulted her. Mm-hmm. And it's bringing back memories. It's bringing back trauma. She's having nightmares. Uh, you can understand the pain. But then would she have the right to terminate the life of that child to escape that pain? Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, none of us would say yes to that. Right. So the question is, is, is the child in the womb any less human? Mm. And, the, and the answer is no. But that doesn't take away the pain and the trauma that woman may be facing. And so the church, the people around her, to come along and support her mm-hmm. uh, is, is what's needed, yeah. uh, is what we can do. Does it make it all go away? Well, well no, uh, it doesn't. But, but even in those most painful situations, do we say it's right and okay to kill an innocent human being, which sure. is who this child is in the womb? Mm. The, the medical question is a different one. So there are different reasons why a pregnancy may be extraordinarily high risk and threaten the life of the mother. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of different scenarios. Uh, every pregnancy inherently contains risk. So there's, there's no pregnancy with zero sure. risk. That's right. right. And so there are some pregnancies where the risk is extremely high. For example, in the most common scenario where this happens is an ectopic pregnancy where the, 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 the fertilized egg, the, 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 the implantation of the embryo is not in the uterus, but is, is stuck in the fallopian, fallopian tube. tube. So the pregnancy will not survive. Right. It, it, the baby cannot survive in this. And if nothing is done, it does in fact threaten the life of the mother. Mm. So there's no possibility for survival of this, of this. It's very painful, it manifests very, very early. And so the, the, what's not being performed is an abortion in the strict sense, but an intervention to save the life of the mother, which is very clear. Now, back in California when Ronald Reagan was, was governor, he signed into law a, a, an abortion bill that made uh, abortion legal for the health of the mother. It was very right. vague. Mm. And so emotional health became the justification. And so skyrocketed abortions because it was this kind of vague and fuzzy. Yeah. There are other uh, much more gray areas. So, for example, a, a woman for whom her health conditions make uh, having a child at risk. So I have an aunt who, who early on, she's now into her 80s, but when she was a teenager, she had a heart condition. And so they told her that she had open-heart surgery when open-heart surgery was experimental. Like, Oh, my gosh. You know, just we're not really sure what we're doing here. And she survived. But they said, you'll never be able to be able to bear children mm-hmm. safely. Well, she has six children, adult children. Praise God. And, and so God was faithful. And she's still alive. And, and, uh, uh, and so there's, there's times when things are, are gray. Another scenario might be a woman is diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and so she, her treatments are in all likelihood would kill or harm this child. And so she's mm-hmm. faced with a very difficult decision about what she's willing to do or not do. Uh, but neither of those cases are, are abortions. Uh, and so it, to, if it's a clear threat to the woman's life, the, 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 the procedure is not understood to be a direct abortion to get rid of the child for the mm. sake of avoiding the burden of bearing and, and 
raising a child. That's a good point. Uh, it's it's there to 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 save the woman who might die and the child be lost anyway. Mm. Uh, and so it's a it's a much more difficult situation. It seems it seems like though those are the arguments that that pro pro choice and I, I, I use that term a little bit lo- loosely because we believe that that women should have choice of protecting their own body. We just sure. believe that when it involves another body that's within their body, that's 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 a different issue. So, right. but you know, pro-choices will often bring up those those arguments. Well, what a what if the woman has been what if the woman has been raped and she, sure, you know, it, it seems like those are the arguments that they bring up, and those are those, those things happen and they're they're, they're tragedies. But well, uh, they're used I, to I'm, justify. Just blatant abortion right. that women want to perform. Like on the big scheme of things, yeah. that's not that's generally not why most people get abortions. Less than one half of one percent. Right. All yeah. of those things combined into one. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, eliminating abortions. You know, people say, well, if you eliminate abortions, people are going to have these back alley, back alley abortions, and uh, you're going to create a bigger problem, like the problem that, that, that existed before abortion was legalized. And women, women are going to die now when they're trying to get abortions because they're, you know, they're going to get these back alley abortions. What, what, what would you say to that? Well, certainly, uh, you know, you can't stop people from doing what they might do, but you still make laws that are right and just. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so the law, again, is a teacher, and it is supposed to connect to what is right and just. And so protecting human life should not be qualified. Right. Uh, and so it, it pushes the law to do the right thing. It certainly will reduce the number of abortions and will shift the abortion culture. Now, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, which is, in fact, uh, it appears to be uh, likely, uh, in spite of all the efforts of the left to intimidate the justices by coming and protesting at their very homes, uh, it looks like there may be an overturning. It certainly will not eliminate access to abortion in the United States because while many predict that anywhere from 26 to 30 states will legalize or severely limit access to abortion, there are still dozens that will be, you know, not dozens, but at least 20 Sadly. states that will be uh, uh, fully accessible so people mm-hmm. can get their abortions. And that doesn't uh, preclude the fastest-growing industry, uh, uh, abortion industry, and that is the telemed delivery of abortion pills so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. a woman's bathroom can become an abortion clinic. Right. Uh, which is risky. It's 400% more risky than a surgical abortion, and it's often much more traumatic to the woman. So yeah. a woman who has an abortion is 81% more likely to have a mental health diagnosis in her life. Wow. Wow. Um, since you you are involved in Compass Care, and usually it's trained medical nurses um, who work with the women who are considering abortion, what have you noticed is uh, the most common drive for women to have an abortion? Um and when you're working with these women or the nurses are, what might change their mind um, for carrying the baby to term? Sure, sure. So Compass Care, just to give you a sense of volume, uh, Compass Care in 2021 saw 1,073 women seriously considering abortion come through the doors. Wow. And so 
it isn't as though we're talking about anecdotal statistics here when we when Compass Care identifies what are the driving forces behind a woman. So it's considering abortion. And, and, and so many people that the 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 public narrative coming from say mass media and that sort of thing would say, oh it's a financial issue. Uh, as a primary driver, finances would constitute about three percent of the reason why mm -hmm. women seriously consider abortion. Three percent. Three percent. It wow. really isn't finances. Uh, it's much broader. As a hum as human beings, we're far too self-centered uh, and selfish to allow bit. money to get in the way. Right? <laughs> yes. To get what we want. And so it isn't it's primarily a good point. <laughs> it isn't primarily finances. The the so there are three principal drivers and all of them are around fear. I used to think that perhaps love and hate were the strongest human emotions. After this pandemic, uh, I've come to the conclusion that it is by far fear. Fear mm. is the most powerful. Fear can drive us to make us make human beings make the worst decisions uh, imaginable. And I think many terrible decisions have been made in the last couple of years, driven by, by fear. fear. So a woman's predominant emotional uh, driver is fear when she's coming in with an unplanned pregnancy, feeling unsupported. And it, and it centers around three tensions. The first tension is the tension between her life and the baby's life. Mm. And so it's, she's looking at, okay, well, what, what will the consequences be carrying this baby to term? How will that affect my relationships with the father of the child, my parents, my career, my finances are a factor, uh, my educational plans, my future marriage, uh, all these things f come into play as a tension that she's facing versus the, the, the life of the child uh, and bringing that child into it. That would be 60% of women, that's the primary driver that she's facing. Mm -hmm. About 30% will be a situation where it's a tension between uh, the babies ha having a terrible life or no life at all. In other words, she looks at her own situation, she says, my life is a train wreck. Mm. I can't imagine bringing a child into it. It's just going to be horrible. And so maybe she's sleeping on the floor of a basement of somebody's house that isn't her own, maybe not even in her family, and she's like, well, what, I'm going to bring a baby into this? Right. And mm. so she's faced with a tension between, okay, no life or a terrible life, and she's trying to sort that out. Or it might be the tension between guilt and shame, the guilt of, of killing this child and the shame of carrying it to term. Mm. Now, that tension between guilt and shame is actually present probably in almost all of the women, but it isn't necessarily the primary driver. And also to understand the, the shame component of it, it is not the shame of, say, 30 years ago where being pregnant and unwed sure. was a shameful right. thing mm. in our culture. That's, that's long gone. Yeah. Okay, it's the shame of I let myself get pregnant and then I didn't get an abortion. Mm. There's that much pressure on pushing people towards abortion to say, well, it's irresponsible. You're, you're an irresponsible human being to be unwed, to, to get pregnant, or even wed in many cases, to have too many children. Like I, even, even pastoring with eight kids, I had people in my congregation say, do you not know how this works? <laughs> oh <laughs> it was exactly how it works. <laughs> Which is why we have eight kids. That's right. And, and so, <laughs> that was intentional. Yes. Built in an army. <laughs> And, and to look at every child as a gift from God, regardless of the circumstances. That's the right. biblical perspective. Yeah. yeah. And it's only a, a recent cultural disposition that children are viewed more as a commodity for mm. my enjoyment. 
Yeah. I want one boy, I want one girl, and then I'm done because I get to experience what it means to raise a daughter and a son. It's not about seeing myself as, as a servant to, in raising these children mm, and, and raising point. godly people. They're a commodity that, that I take for my own pleasure and, and desire, and if I don't want them, then fine. Mm. They're not gifts from God. I was a bit conflicted because, honestly, when I was thinking about having children, I wasn't thinking, I'm going to have children for my enjoyment. Because when I thought of children, fear came into my mind. How am I going to do this? I'm a mess. How am I going to raise kids? You know, this is going to be terrible. (laughs) It turned out pretty okay. But it turned out all right. Yeah, because of Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. you. That is, like, Compass Care, the, the gospel shared with these women. Yeah, uh, that's everything. important. And so it's done in a, in a very natural and inviting way. Mm. So before the nurse shares that, that the gospel message, the woman is asked if she's, she's open to hearing about it. Now, it might unfold like this. It might unfold by saying, you know, do you think things happen for a reason? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the vast majority, oh, well over 90%, people will intuit that, yeah, things happen for a reason. And similarly, do you believe that there is a God? Uh, and in the, the vast majority, over 90%, people will say yes. Women will say yes to that mm. question. So then the natural question is, do you maybe, maybe you're here for a reason. Maybe you're here at Compass Care, sitting on this table, looking at the sonogram of your child and hearing mm. its heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're here for a reason. Yeah. And, and right now you have a lot of anxiety, but I know how you can experience peace by having a relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you like to hear about that? Yeah. And... Uh, about 85% of the women will say yes, mm-hmm. and about wow. a third of them will pray to receive Jesus. Well, that, that kind of goes to my next, my next question. Um, how, do you, how, how can we help a woman change her mind to carry to, carry to term? It's about, it's about support. It, it's about her. So it, when we look at the gospel, we see that virtually in every single encounter, and I haven't found one yet in the Gospels where Jesus, in encountering people, isn't transforming their understanding of who God is, That's right. who sure. they are in God's eyes, mm-hmm. and who the people are around them, and understanding their circumstances through from God's perspective. And when people lay a hold of that, it not only changes what they believe, it changes what they do. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is helping transform that fear into confidence by helping her see things from God's perspective. That's right. Now, she may not choose to surrender her life to Christ, but she may start to transform her understanding. So a woman may come in and she, before she begins any kind of exam, the nurse will sit down with her and say, uh, you know, what, what, what causes this pregnancy for you to be difficult and challenging or why might you be considering an abortion? And she might say something like, well, if my mother finds out, she's going to kill me. Okay, well, the nurse has to take that seriously, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just sure. write it off. So the question, follow-up question might be, are you at risk? And, and the woman will more than likely say, well, no, I'm not literally, my mother's not literally going to kill me, mm-hmm, but she's going to be really, really upset. So will, will she be upset forever? Well, no, no, she's my mother, she loves me. She'll be upset for a while. Okay, we've gone from mom's going to kill me to mom's going to be angry for a while. Mm-hmm. That's transformative right. thinking. And even if she doesn't come to the Lord, she now starts to think of her situation differently. Yeah. And she can begin to imagine taking this child, carrying this child to term. So a woman will typically be asked about, uh, would you be open to placing your child with a family 
who would love to raise this child. That was going to be kind of my follow-up follow up question. I'm glad you're bringing this up because um, there are other options out there. Yes. Now, the reality is that very few women choose this option. And, mm. and part of it is because what happens, it's a very important question to ask because what she's facing is pregnancy, birth, and raising a child for 20 years, right? Mm. Versus a few hours in an abortion clinic. Right, and so th those are heavily. You know, that's a sure. big dichotomy, yes. right? In terms of commitment and time and everything else. So when you raise the question of adoption, you take off the parenting thing off the table. Mm -hmm. You say this is really a choice about carrying to term and going to an abortion clinic. So it makes the question much smaller. It's not a twenty-year decision. It's a it's a eight seven month, nine month decision. Nine month at most. Yeah. You know, by the time she finds out, she's already six, seven weeks along. And so uh, it, it, it shifts it. But what will happen is that more than not, she will say, I can't imagine carrying this child to term. And, and then, then giving it up for adoption. Right. And so uh, what it does is she hears in her own words, her maternal instinct, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not from somebody else, but from her own heart. She hears what this really means yeah. for her. And, and uh, there have been a few, and I've been connected with that a few, not personally, but in the office in Buffalo where there have been women who've chosen to, to place their child into an adoptive situation. Sure. But it's rare. It's very rare. They either choose to carry a term and keep the baby or they, they get an abortion. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about contraceptives? So uh, <laughs> this is a debatable topic. Right. So the contraceptive <laughs> question is, is, is it, there are different types yes, of there are. Contra contraceptives. Yes. And there are some that are abortifacients. Yes. So Jim Harden, the CEO, president, president of Compass Care, uh, her mother worked for an abortionist. His mother. Really? I didn't know he that. Was, he was born with an IUD wrapped around his wrist. Wow. Right. So oh my uh, gosh. it's an irony and God's humor uh, to place him where he is. Very interesting. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> that's wild. And and uh, so some contraceptions are abortifacients, like the IUD, which right. is designed to prevent a a fertilized embryo from implanting properly in right. the uterus and surviving. Right. Or the morning after pill uh, is designed to kill the the embryo as it tries to to implant. So those are abortifacients. Where some uh, uh, contraceptives either are chemical, they prevent her from ovulating, or they might be a barrier method that prevent egg and sperm from meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's up to, what's interesting is that Christianity is often uh, described as being legalistic and filled with rules. But God only gave us six commandments to govern our relationships with human beings. Only six. Think about that. Yeah. Six mm -hmm. things. You just follow these six things in your relationship with people. That will make everything go just swimmingly. You know, <laughs> all of, just six things. <laughs> honor your mother and father. Don't kill each other. Uh, honor the covenant of marriage and sexuality and preserve sex in the, in the context of marriage. marriage yeah. uh, don't mm -hmm. steal things that belong to other people. Don't lie. And, and use your mouth for things that are inappropriate and don't covet what other people Very have. simple, yeah. right? It's really simple. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, but very simple. Very difficult. And, and, uh, and so that commandment about understanding the sanctity of sexuality, there's a whole commandment dedicated to 
governing our sexual lives. Mm. That God designed it that between one man and one woman, he created Adam and Eve. He didn't give Adam a whole bunch of wives. He gave him one. It's, it's, it's clear from the beginning. There were exceptions that were lived out in the Old Testament, but clearly from Jesus' framework, it's one man, one woman. Sure. And uh, the Christian church has recognized that without exception uh, in, throughout the 2,000 years. And, and so sex is, is powerful, and uh, in, in, in it's a powerful gift. Uh, God happened to, to connect pleasure to it mm. uh, as a sort of uh, icing on the cake, as it were. But sex was given for the purpose of creating immortal human beings. Mm. There are no mere mortals in the womb. We're all immortal. Right. We may... Sacred. Sacred. And so yeah. the, the most powerful thing that we can do as human beings is create another human being. Yeah. Nothing even comes close. And, and God designed sex to, to be the thing, the vehicle through which this happens. And so the, the uh, contraceptive culture separates those two things in order to, okay, I just want to have pleasure without the risk or consequences of the possibility of generating human beings. And so it is one piece in a, in a collective of disconnects around sexuality in our culture. Mm. So uh, the, the promiscuity culture separates intimacy and commitment from sexuality. Uh, it separates the fostering of children within the, within the family structure. Uh, abortion can be best understood as a sacrament of the left. And, and what I mean by that is that in, in sacramental churches, uh, liturgical churches, there is this concept of sacrament, central Latin word sacramentum, which is tied to the Greek word in, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, Gospels that means mystery, really. Mm. And at its heart, what it says is that a sacrament is something that not only represents something, but it embodies it. Mm. So baptism is not just the sprinkling of water. It actually represents this and, and is a, deeply connected to conversion. Marriage is not just a ceremony we go through and have a party. It actually changes the nature of the relationship between the man and the woman. They're one flesh. Mm. They are changed for, for, for this lifetime. And so in the, in the case of, uh, say, the sacrament of, of what has been called Eucharist, the belief is that this is not just a, a mere symbol, but it actually has Christ's presence in body and blood. That's right. And however that's defined, it's defined differently in different traditions, uh, but it's more than just, just simply a symbol. Mm. It's, it's bigger than that. So as a sacrament, what, what abortion represents is, is complete freedom from God's design of sexuality uh, around, uh, around what sex involves. It's, in other words, it, it is relegated sheerly to, to a pleasure activity uh, and freed from its consequence of generating immortal human beings. Mm. And, and it's most represented by the act of killing the consequence of that product. It, it's a blood sacrifice, really. And, and so you see this manifest most clearly with every nomination to the Supreme Court who threatened Roe v. Wade, that the left goes ballistic, accuses every male of sexual impropriety uh, and of racism, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. of all sorts of things. They don't have a big playbook. You know, it's, no, they it's, don't. It's a very small playbook. <laughs> yeah, it's the, because Satan is not imaginative. No. So mm -hmm. it, there is this... Uh, uh, there is a simple playbook, that, and they, they just try to destroy the person because what's at risk... Nothing else that really at risk is Roe v. Wade, mm. okay? And so uh, they go nuts. 
and and because they're protecting a sacrament, they're protecting something that is sacred to them in an unholy way. Right. So, Dean, I want to go back to contraceptives because sure. this is a this is a conversation I've had with many Christians with regards to family family planning. If uh, are all contraceptives off limits? Different Christians have different views they views do. on this. Yeah. Um, I, I I had a friend that believed well the Lord's going to close the, close the womb so you know. They, they didn't think contraceptives at all, with the exception of maybe not having sex, you know. But family that planning. Yeah. Right, natural family planning. Nat natural family planning. Yeah, and, and then you'll naturally be planning on a family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a large, a large family. Well, it actually, it, it, it can, that method of, of controlling the number of children that you, you have and when you have children actually can be very effective. It's not easy. No, it's very it's, difficult. Uh, it's, it's not uh, not easy to manage, and it also means periods of abstinence, which creates its own challenge sure. uh, in in terms of of observing those periods of abstinence. The uh, the contra there's a there's a, a contraceptive mentality which has crept into Christian culture uh, that causes I think Christians to embrace contraception mm. uh, as as a way of life. In other words. I want complete control over the number of children that we have. And so mm -hmm. my wife and I were more oriented towards, okay, every child is a gift from God and we'll be open to whatever God produces. Uh, I'm yeah. just saying my quiver my quiver can only hold four arrows. I just always knew that. There's four arrows. No more arrows. Then that, that, that's it. That, that's as big as my quiver was. Your quiver was obviously bigger than four arrows. What's fascinating is in, when we first got married, we, we – we, the first year, we, you know, weren't particularly trying to have children. In year two, we were a little more open. Year three, we're like, let's, let's, let's start a family, okay? And after three years, it's like nothing's happening. And so it was pretty distressful, mm -hmm. as any couple that faces infertility mm -hmm. understands. And, and so we're only three years in. So it wasn't massive, but uh, it was particularly distressful for my wife. Uh, it was distressful for me. And, and I remember one Sunday morning that uh, – I prayed. I said, "Lord, you need to speak into this. Mm. You need to. You need mm. to speak into this because uh, it it it's just it's stressful. It's difficult. Uh, and we're going to church. And I said, Lord, can you just speak into this today? Mm -hmm. And so this is this was a liturgical church where there were different readings, and there was in particular a reading sure. of a psalm, and one, Psalm one twenty eight was the reading. And and I'm just going to pull that up so I get it accurately here. Uh, and and you know, you often think God's going to speak to me. Oh, oh he's going to speak to me in the sermon. He's going to speak, you know, that's where you're looking for God to speak to you. But he can, you can use anything. He can oh, use yeah. a song. He can use almost anything. And so the words in this, uh, because it had been contextualized by saying, Lord, speak to me, the words were, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children shall be like olive shoots around mm. your table. Wow. Wow. God spoke to me and said, you're having kids. I didn't know he was going to give me an orchard. <laughs> uh, once the gates opened, the floodgates just kept, they just kept coming. Right? Uh, and eight children later. Yes. And, and my last child, my wife was 48. Oh my wow. gosh. Okay. And so, That's awesome. Uh, and, wow. And it, it's, and, and he's the, he's a delight. Uh, all my children are delights in different ways, but he's, he's particularly, uh, God bless us with a very compliant, uh, loving How old is son. he? He's the, la the last child. Yes. Yeah, that's, I was really blessed. That was David. No, our, oh la, our my last goodness. child. It's just so incredibly compliant. Yes. Yeah, it, it's, like, it's like it's like we learned 17. how to parent children 
as the fourth child. Yeah, it took you eight. Took us it took, eight. It yeah, took us I four. So I was a trial run, basically. <laughs> well, you you were a girl, so that was something different altogether. We had three boys and one girl. Yes, so. and that dynamic. Oh, they're 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 different, right? Out of the box, as it were. It was just there's, yeah. a, there's a fundamental <laughs> difference between boys and girls. Oh, we for have sure. Six boys and two girls. Oh my gosh, really? And, and, oh wow. Uh, so we have the same ratio. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Basically, wow. How old's your youngest? My youngest is ten. Oh, so sweet. My oldest is thirty. Wow. Twenty-year gap. That must be so fun to to be raised around or to have so many siblings to play with and. Yeah, my ten-year-old's an uncle three times over. <laughs> 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 that's great. I'm that's just saying, great. they're probably not all th- thinking this is fun. All the time. I know that's true. I'm sure they went through that. I'm sure you and your wife went through those moments the too. Younger kids are probably complaining about the hand me downs. I'm sick of hand me downs. They never get anything new. <laughs> <laughs> but they have more toys. I mean, my basement is like that's a toy true. store. It's, it's just Christmases of over 30 years, right? And, and then they get handed down and hand, I can yeah. sell a Lego right. store. Right. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, I'm going to ask a specific question yeah. because I've been asked this question. Is it morally wrong to use enter, for a Christian family to, when it comes to a family planning perspective, to use any contraceptives? Mm. I don't think it's categorical, uh, in, 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 and I wouldn't take that position. So if you were to take, for example, the Catholic Church would say, yeah, it's categorically wrong. Right. It's mm-hmm. Yes, wrong. that's the position uh, they've taken. And, and, yeah. and, the, and the argument is rooted in the fact that God has cor- connected uh, this action to procreation, and when we artificially separate that, uh, it is fundamentally selfish and not mm. open to life. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So that's actually a pretty strong argument. Very strong. Yeah. And and so uh, then the the argument that would say, okay, well, for a married couple, again, sex is only allowable biblically in the context of the, a marriage between one man and one woman, a committed relationship mm-hmm. like that, right? So that goes without saying. But then the argument would be is that God has given us the discretion to have uh, children when we when we want. So is natural family planning that different than, say, an artificial barrier method? Right. Mm. Is it really, is the motive any fundamentally different? Well, not necessarily. Uh, you're wanting to limit and control the number of children you have. And so the argument that would allow contraception would be that God has given us some discretion. Now, it's a modern discretion. It's only within really effective contraception. It's been around a lot longer than 100 years, but, uh, you know, the development of technology and latex and this sort of thing has allowed us to do certain things that weren't able to be done years ago. Sure. Uh, But we have to ask ourselves as Christians, well, what is the motive here? Is the motive fundamentally to just control my life and to not be open to what God may be Mm -hmm. wanting to give me? Uh, or not. And so that's kind of a deeper question. For example, with compass care, compass care does not refer for uh, or or provide or recommend the use of contraceptives. At all. At all. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. Because, because uh, it's really not far from from the, the, the that Catholic paradigm. Sure. And and that the responsibility outside of marriage is is uh, abstinence. And mm-hmm. That's over ninety percent of the women the compass care sees anyway, right? Uh, and so it, it's really about honoring the sanctity of of uh, the, the gift of sex. See, it's it's funny when when I get this when I get this question, um, I, I have very 
similar opinion as, as you. I don't think it's necessarily more morally wrong, but um, I think people got to go to God and ask, you know, have have a relationship with the Lord where they can ask the Lord that question instead Absolutely. of instead of living their lives through other people by by, by edict or, or law. I think people are looking for someone to just say yes or no, mm. you know. And and I think often, I think not often, I think all the time, God wants us to come to Him and ask Him these, you know, these questions. And uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm. You guys got me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to get married now? Oh, no, I'm going to get married. But yeah, the idea of children right now is um, very overwhelming. But yeah, this interesting conversation. I'm going to go home and like start calling mom. Be like, mom, what do you think? Um, <laughs> we were we were surprised at every pregnancy, even when we were planning on it. Whoa, it works. You call- Whoa, it worked again. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know... It, it, Planned pre- pre- pregnancies, I mean, I think they're actually a very small percentage. <laughs> it's true. Um, I don't think any of my children, except for the first one, were, quote, planned. Planned, right, uh, right. You know, and that's not, you know, I, I hope they don't get traumatized by that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't know if hardly any of us are planned. Yeah, we won't get into the details of that because if your kids are going to listen to this podcast, they're going to be like, ew, ew, <laughs> dad's talking about that again. Ew, don't talk about that. <laughs> my, my youngest son said, like, you were 48? What was good? <laughs> oh my what gosh. Were you, what were you thinking? <laughs> hey, he should be lucky it happened because he's here now, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. So this is kind of a loaded question. Um, how can we advocate for illegalizing abortion while simultaneously supporting women um, that are having unexpected pregnancies? And we can talk about... Uh, uh, sex education classes within um, public or private schools, um, abstinence. I know Mike Peace um, and Lou Perez started a program in the inner city schools where they taught abstinence. abstinence in the schools. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on that and how we can um, advocate for illegalizing abortion but also supporting these women at the same time? So on the, on the one hand, uh, Christian Christians should be leading culture into goodness, mm. right? That's right. And, and, and so... Uh, when it comes to the question of abortion, I was sitting, I, I had my three youngest kid, kids at the dentist office and I was, had uh, the two boys were in the dentist chairs and I was sitting alone with my daughter who at the time was 12. Uh, and actually she still is, it, she's tw- it was just happened last fall. And I turned to her and I said, let's come up with a list of all the things that are wrong with our society and culture, like you do as a father in the dentist office, right? Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A so, great dentist, dentist conversation. So we, we came up with 35 things, and they wow. ranged oh my gosh. from everything from homelessness to poverty to racism to sexism to, to crime uh, and, and a whole list of things. Yeah. And, and on that list was abortion. Now, every single one of these things had uh, government agencies trying to sort out how to solve them, Secular organizations working on the problem, faith-based organizations mm-hmm. uh, trying to, to, to deal with it, except for one, and that was abortion. Mm. There are no government and no secular agencies trying to solve the problem of abortion because they don't even see it as a problem. It's only True. the faith-based community, and there mm. are no other problems in society that fall into this similar category. And so it really falls upon Christians to solve this problem. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, pastors who are the gatekeepers of the community who help guide the church. The vision of every single church, and I've done church consulting leadership, and 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 that was my whole doctoral thesis focused on this, wow. that virtually every uh, 
Bible-believing church has three components to their vision. Win souls, make disciples, do good and change the world. Mm. And how you apply that and work that out may vary. But those are the three fundamental pillars of the Christian mission for a church, right? So in terms of how to address the problem of abortion, there are two ways. One, Christians need to change culture. That mm -hmm. happens in the church, from the pulpit, in the, in the discipleship process, where, where, where culture, but it's a slow burn, right? Yeah. It's taken 50 years of intercession and preaching to come to a point where we might see the reversal of Roe v. Wade here. Mm -hmm. uh, the other, in terms of women, is through intervention. And so that's what Compass Care does, intervene at the right time when a woman's pregnant and when she's considering abortion and serve her in the right way that she would carry to term. And then the question is, is, well, how do we support the woman once she carries the, decides to carry the term? It's not just about the baby. It's about her. In fact, Compass Care can't save women. I mean, I'm sorry. Compass Care can't save babies. They can only serve women who then in turn save their babies, right? Mm -hmm. It's always her choice. But then the question is, how do we come alongside her? So yeah. the strategy Compass Care uses is to partner with churches uh, to, to come alongside these women uh, who will then connect with them and then usher them into the life of the church. Uh, their first meetings might be in a Tim Hortons or a Starbucks to build a relationship. So we come alongside these women. But also to lead the way in terms of what you said about education. Yeah. Uh, so abstinence is, is, is better. So sexual, one of the roles we had with our kids was no dating in high school because it, there's no point. Dating is a, is a process for mate selection. So why would you date in high school? You're not selecting a mate. So and it's better. Abstinence is better for many other reasons other than, you know, preventing unplanned pregnancies. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Just, yeah. it, it, it destroys people's hearts. But, but the, world, the world has this lie that, well, kids, kids aren't going to, they're not going to abstain. Yeah, they're bunny rabbits, Yeah, right? they're bunny rabbits. They can't, <laughs> they no they can't control, control themselves, apparently. which is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. You know, that, sure. that, that kids can't be, can't be taught to be self-controlled. Um, they, they believe that in certain areas of their lives. They believe that they don't have to, kids don't have to run around and kill each other, literally Absolutely, kill sure. each other. They, they would be opposed to that. So, well, well they're, then they're exercising some self-control. They certainly can exercise it in this area also. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, to, to engage in, say, sexual intercourse actually takes a little bit of planning and a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, it for sure. It's not like dropping a pencil. That's right. Yeah. It doesn't happen by accident. It, it really has, it's very deliberate. It's methodical, very methodical for them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but they need to catch a vision mm. for, for their sexuality. It's actually one of the reasons why I became a Christian at Letourneau Christian Camp. Uh, oh, at Letourneau? Yeah, I did. I was oh my 16 gosh. years old. And, and uh, actually, when I, I had a friend ask me to go there, and I was resistant. I tried to come up with excuses, and, 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 and a woman paid for me, right? And I was, that was my basic excuse. My parents divorced, and my mother was, didn't have much in the way of resources. And a woman stepped forward and said, you paid for me. So I was like, okay. I, I, well, money can't be the reason I don't I, 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 I'm going. So I go. I hated it. I thought, you know, these Christians got up at 730 in the morning singing songs about Jesus and the way for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I do this, right? And so, uh, but it was co-ed, and so I was opportunist, and I thought, okay. Sure. Yeah, it, it, that alone is a good reason yeah, to go. So I would, sure. <laughs> We'd sit in the chapel holding hands. They had this rule, six inches between boys and girls, room for the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow. So we, Your arms are longer than six inches. That's right. So sit next to each other, cover <laughs> our hands with the Bible. And, and, uh, I, you know. I've done it with a jacket or something. Yeah, it's just stuff Yeah, like we've that. been there. All right, yeah. don't give them any ideas. <laughs> well, then, then they had been talking about uh, be, 
they were talking about sexuality and dating and sex and all yeah. this type of thing. And even back in the seventies when this happened, there was there was pressure to always be in a relationship and, mm. and this sort of thing. And and uh, uh, what happened was, is three days into this camp, this girl broke up with me and was interested in this other guy that I thought was a nerd and made me a sub nerd. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was feeling sorry for myself sitting in the chapel, and, and the presence of God came over me and changed my life right at that moment. But but wow. part of the context was. And in relation with with feeling bad about myself because I wasn't in this relationship, right? Mm. As a teenager, not a big deal, but but uh, it, it I was trying to get my self worth and validation from this relationship. Uh, but then God decided to give it to me by Himself, and I no longer felt a need to get that affirmation from a relationship yeah. with a girl. Yeah. And it was transformative. And and so when we can cast a vision that your self-worth, your happiness doesn't come from a sexual relationship in your teens. That's right. Uh, we cast a vision of much something much bigger. And kids can lay a hold of it because that's that was like burden lifting. It was like yeah. I don't even I don't even date in high school. I don't I don't need any <laughs> of this stuff. I don't have to that that's just anxiety producing experience and distraction. See, what I, I, I see two sides to the church. Uh, you know, you mentioned you mentioned we want to see souls saved. You want to see people discipled, and we want to we want to do good. Well, I've seen the church take the first two and just take a very legalistic approach, a very controlling approach to it. Where I mean, I think you need to do all three of those things, but bathed in compassion and bathed in mm-hmm. bathed in love, and that's really that's really what brings brings transformation. Absolutely. You know, just offering people another perspective. Look at there's a life that you can live that you're not seeing right yeah. now i just want to offer you this this perspective for, for you to consider um you know i've been i i struggle sometimes with the the way um some pro-life groups demonstrate you know out out, out in public they they look they look angry and 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 if, when i think about abortion murdering children it, it makes me it makes me angry but the way they they portray, portray themselves in public especially in front of these women who are making these very difficult decisions, they don't come off as very loving and compassionate. Mm. You know, so I, I agree with you. That, that, that those three things are what the church is about, but they need to do it in a compassionate way also, but offering another perspective. You know, I, I want you to see things a different way and maybe maybe consider this instead of ramming it down somebody's throat. Yeah. Um, the best The best argument for becoming a Christian is Christian's, and the best argument for not becoming a Christian is Christians. It's Christians. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So how we behave uh, and, and, and act towards people, our, our weapons are love, mercy, peace, Amen. kindness, gentleness. Mm. Amen. Uh, and, and that's the weapons that God has given us to fight this battle. Yeah. And, and uh, confrontation is typically not helpful. Uh, and that's why door-to-door evangelism doesn't really work. Right. Statistically, you may it may you, you sure. knock on enough doors, you'll find somebody who is in need of the gospel and is open. But that kind of confrontational evangelization is typically ineffective. Yeah. Uh, and and people don't care what you know until they know you care. Right. That's mm-hmm. right. And and that confrontation uh, doesn't necessarily communicate that. So, understandably, people are like you said deeply disturbed, Christians are deeply disturbed by the, the, the horrendous injustice of abortion. And and that's room for righteous anger, right? Sure. But but you got to direct that at the right people in the right situations It's it, that in the right way. So when anger or that frustration oozes out 
towards the women most vulnerable, it'll be completely ineffective right. uh, at, at, at serving her. One of the core values that Compass Care embraces is, is dignity. And so that woman who, who, from the moment she calls on the telephone to the moment she walks through the door to the, when she goes into that, that office, her dignity needs to be absolutely and unconditionally honored. Yeah. yeah. Even if she walks away and says, I'm on my way to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There was one woman, she, she had come to Compass Care, uh, been served, and had, went on to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And about a year later, she calls back, and she says, I'm pregnant again. Mm. And she comes in and has the same exact nurse. And, uh, with, her, with her second bank pregnancy. Second pregnancy. Yeah. And her, what she says, she said, last time I was here, you told me about Jesus. Can you tell me again? Mm. Because she regretted that abortion. Sure. And she felt like she had to do the same thing over again because she was still unsupported. Sure. She was still trapped. Mm. But she knew that this nurse told her about something else, a different way to have peace. Mm-hmm. And she came back just for that. That's awesome. Wow. There was there was another situation where this this uh, nurse was our lead nurse was training another nurse in Buffalo and, and the couple they weren't married, but the father of the child was with the mother, which is usually a good sign, but sometimes he's mm-hmm. the, the antagonist in the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so she has the ultrasound, right? And in and, and the ultrasound, you see on the big screen, like this television here, uh, the baby moving in the womb, and you can hear the heartbeat. And uh, the, it, it moved the father, and the, the tra- mm-hmm. nurse trainer was discerning enough to invite the father to go into a different room to talk about his experience. And she just sat him down and said, what was that like for you? Mm. And he just started weeping. Wow. He says, I don't want to kill a kid. I just want to make her happy. Mm. Right. So she, he goes back in, and she turns to him and says, what do you want to do? What's in that question? Yeah. Will you support me? Yeah, that's right. That's will right. You, Are you going to be there? there? Are you going to be there? Yeah, yeah. And, like and, for the long haul. Exactly, and that's where the church needs to be because a lot of the mm. fathers aren't. Yeah, yeah, true. and and so she's looking for that support. She's like, she's basically saying, "I don't want to have this abortion, but if you're going to support me, I won't. But mm. if you don't, I yeah. will." Yeah, right. Yeah, and and so that's where these women feel they're trapped, and they need support. And the church can be that that support. Absolutely, the church can be. And and to be quite frank, I pro. People who are pro-life, pro-lifers are demonized in, in in the media, and I don't know one pro-lifer that cares just as much that does not care just as much about the woman as the baby that's in right. her womb. Um, you know, it's not; it, it's certainly not one-sided. And, uh, and and they're emotionally moved by the, the horrendous injustice and the harm that is not just done to these children, but to the but women. To, to the women, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know, and and so they're. It's hard to control that anger and, and that frustration of the great systemic injustice that's unfolding. It's arguably the greatest injustice of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the United States exported this, this value across the world. And when you look at worldwide statistics, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's frightening. The tens of thousands of abortions every single day. Mm-hmm. So when we're... Um when listeners are hearing about these stories and what we're advocating for, um, 
can you just give us some practical things for for someone that maybe was pro-choice and now they're leaning a different way or pro-lifers right now? What are some um, simple and practical ways that we can support women um, who are experiencing unexpected pregnancies? How can we support Compass Care? Um, How can we support the church that is trying to support these women? So so on the one hand, uh, the, the, the church... The, the culture being willing to speak into this. Yeah. What I find is that pastors struggle to address this. It's not an easy thing to address from the pulpit for mm-hmm. lots of reasons. Uh, one, it's not seen as what it is. It's it's a it's a it's a problem that speaks to what does it mean to be human under God. Our culture has instead positioned the question of abortion as in one issue among many, and then politicized it. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I'm thinking about who to vote for, for example, there's abortion, there's education, there's national security, there's economy, there's it's just one thing among many, as opposed to a fundamental issue. Like for example, would you vote for someone who was who was pro slavery? Well, of course not. I don't care what else they stand on. Yeah, if they're pro slavery, the right. institution of slavery in America. They're not getting my vote, no matter how good they are on any other topic. So they're they're canceled, right? Right. Uh, so part of it is, is, is helping in, in the, the congregations learn about what does it mean? What is, the, what is abortion really, really all about? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of pastors are like, well, you know, I'm about, I'm about the gospel. I don't want this issue to get in a way mm-hmm. of sharing the gospel. And, and, and that's understandable. Compass Care faces the same thing. There are no religious images in Compass Care's offices because as soon as she sees like a picture of mother and child or the cross, as soon as she walks in the office, she's like, okay, are they going to judge me? So Compass Care doesn't, has to not let the religion component and the preconceived notions about what all that means get in the way of her receiving good services. Mm. Absolutely. But I would argue that it is part of the gospel. Yes. Yeah. I mean, life, the life of the unborn is. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, a lot of pastors aren't even sure, well, how do I get at it? So if yeah. I'm asked to preach, and I've preached in a lot of churches about this, I always start out about talking about, you know, the, the assumption that there isn't a congregation in this state that doesn't have women in it who have have, have had abortions. Yeah. It's touched every community. Oh, for there sure. aren't men who have been involved in siring these children who have been aborted. So it's touched deeply every community. And so... The acknowledgement that God's mercy, grace, forgiveness, love mm. are there as a starting point. But in terms of how do I talk about this? Well, I got to acknowledge this reality that exists in our yeah. congregation. And that my talking about this isn't about judging you, but to help form the, com- the community and how to understand how to respond to this. So that's, that's the cultural shift. And to, and to be able to help people in personal dialogue to, to reflect on this mm-hmm. uh, without, without uh, it becoming a battle. We had an argue, argument discussion slash with my uncle where years ago, he's, he's pro-choice, but a professed Christian, right? Mm. Uh, and, and we're talking about this, and I'm, I'm making sort of the technical arguments that are compelling, right? Mm-hmm. And he just kind of says, well, let's just agree to disagree, right? I don't want to, <laughs> I'm not going to win this argument. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's, about, it's about discipling people into a place where they begin to submit their, their minds and hearts mm. to the gospel. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And, and so uh, 
even well, there's a whole I won't go down that avenue. But then there's intervention. So the 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 advantage of Rochester, which has seen the greatest reduction in abortion than more than any other city in the country. Wow. Fifty uh, percent between two thousand and eight and that's encouraging. Yeah. And and that is happening in the in the capital of abortion, New York State, has the highest per capita rate. No other city wow. in the an abortion hub in the country saw that level of reduction in, in a 10-year period. Interesting dichotomy. Yeah. And, and so uh, that's Compass Care had instituted this model and in, in, of intervention and infrastructure to serve these women, and that has a lot to do with it. When you look at the statistics, 459 women last year chose to carry the term. There are, there are about 3,400 abortions usually in Buffalo, about 1,700 in Rochester uh, a year. Mm. Uh, so that intervention is a way to reach the women at the right time at the right moment. But then these women need support. Mm. Uh, and, and that's another place where the church can come in. Compass Care can't do that. Compass Care can connect them with the church community who can come alongside these women. Mm -hmm. And there's a process called mother care. Uh, and, and so the women are trained. It's not difficult. It's, it's giving women an understanding of what boundaries they need to preserve. Sure. You know, you don't drive these women around. You don't give them loads of money. And, and uh, you, you, you disciple them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if, if there's somebody listening to this podcast, whether they're, they're a, a woman who's carrying a child or whether there's, you know, there, there could be the, the man or the father in, in, involved, sure. in many cases there are, where, where do they go? Can they look up Compass Care? Just Google it online, look for a local, yes. local office? Yes, um, yes. So Compass Care now operates in, in Buffalo, Rochester, in Albany area. Uh, and uh, women come from even Pennsylvania uh, sure. to, to come to Compass Care. The services are always free, these mm -hmm. women. Yeah. Um, these these uh, insurance is not involved, right. so privacy is preserved. Mm -hmm. uh, they can just Google Compass Care, and, and they'll find it. There's two types. There's the patient-serving site for women who are seriously considering abortion or just wanting to find out three big things. Am I really pregnant? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of pregnancies aren't viable, and miscarriage is ten times healthier than abortion. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, uh, you know, do I have an STD? Because if you go forward with a, an abortion with an STD, you risk your future fertility, absolutely, and pelvic inflammatory disease, a lot of risks, mm -hmm. uh, and that that can be treated. And then, uh, getting the information how far along you are determines the kind of abortion that might be considered. And then you learn about okay, well, what are the risks? of each of these types of choices that right women and also what is it, what is the support system i mean can exactly. you help me get connected with the support system if i do do decide to carry this baby to absolutely term? so that's both material uh so we we have resource coordinators who come alongside these women and say okay well if you have material needs uh one of the benefits in new york state not always a lot of them. <laughs> but one of them is that the welfare system is expansive. There are 103 welfare yeah. programs. Yes. So if she's in need of, of housing, of food, of clothing, of, of heat assistance, of medical insurance, it's all available. She could get yeah. it. She's nothing that she should want. And most churches are uniquely very familiar with, with all these services. So, if, so if, if these women are steered to a church community, the church community could not only personally come alongside them and support them, but also connect, connect them Correct. to a lot of these resources. Yes, yes. And, and, and the woman, the resource coordinator, will help her navigate that too. Great. But then in terms of emotional and spiritual support, that's the purview of the church. That, yeah. that, and so... To connect her, 
gently because, you know, she's not a churchgoer. Sure. She's not going to say, well, you know, go to this church on this address. That's not going to happen. Right. So to, to have a, a tri meeting with the coordinator's already built relationship with the patient, with the mother care representative from the church, and meeting in either a compass care or in a neutral place like a Starbucks mm-hmm. to make that introduction. Yeah. Uh, we had just a woman baptized recently who went through that whole process. Sure, sure. Wow. And I'm a pastor of a local church, Bethel Christian Fellowship, and I've met I've met at coffee shops with men and uh, you know women plenty of times for issues so, you know just like this who seem to be a little intimidated to come into a, a church on a, on a Sunday morning and bring this up. I mean, who do you go to anyhow on a Sunday morning? Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's pretty intimidating. But I've had plenty of phone calls where I'll meet people individually. You know, so the church is the church is is there uh, available right. to be a support system and, and to help you know, a woman and a man, you know, just navigate through this. Absolutely. So, mm. yeah. Well, Dean, thank you so much. This was incredible. We may have to split this into two podcasts. No, the no. I think one is great. <laughs> People can get a cup of coffee, sit down, there listen to in their car. But yeah, seriously, thank you for coming on. Um, I am gonna link. Compass Care's website in our bio Perfect. so people can check it out and support them and what you guys are doing. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, well, thank course. you, folks. This is uh, He Said, She Said, where faith intersects with culture. David and Natalie daughter duo, the duo Natalie Domina <laughs> signing off. God bless you all. Yes. These are fancy water bottles. The lost ones.